Welcome to the Thoughtful Entrepreneur Show. I'm Josh Elledge, founder and CEO of UpMyInfluence.com. We turn entrepreneurs into media celebrities, grow their authority, and help them build partnerships with top influencers. We believe that every person has a unique message that can positively impact the world. Stick around to the end of the show, where I'll reveal how you can be our next guest on one of the fastest growing daily inspiration podcasts on the planet in 15 to 20 minutes. Let's go. And with us right now, we've got Brian Bradley. Brian, you're the owner of Bradley Legal Corp, and you are on the web at btblegal.com. And we're going to talk about asset protection, uh, which uh, I think that there's going to be many folks listening to us that that might want to think about uh, you know how they're structured uh, so that they can keep themselves safe. Uh, so, for, Brian, thank you so much for joining us. I uh, know. Thanks, Josh, for you know having me on and putting the podcast together. And you know, if you want to up your influence, you know, for me, it's not about you know the money. It's just really about freeing up your time and taking back your life. You know, when you do it right. Um, but you can't do it if your mind's not straight. And at the end mm-hmm. of the day, um, when you do turn that corner, you also want to protect what you built and what you have and the assets that you have. And that's then, you know, where we come into play. Yeah. So just a basic definition of what asset protection is. I know what asset protection is only because I <laughs> actually <laughs> wanted to get your definition before, I moved, you know, a little behind the scenes of like, okay, just, just so, so I sound smart. Brian, help me out. Asset protection. Yeah, right. uh, but generally, Great. right, you what you want to, uh, you know, you know, like, for example, you know, all of our companies are their own separate entities, uh, you know, to make sure that there's that you know, that, that financial protection, um, you know, and, and that we want, I would imagine, you know, you had connected with Ty Crandall, Ty's really, really big on, you know, from a financial perspective and making sure that if you're, you know, taking on debt, that you're doing that in the name of the uh, business and not in your own personal name. So that would be another example of like, you know, uh, how to do that. But I'll, I'll let you kind of uh, give us a quick 101 and, and basic asset protection for business owners. Yeah, it's it's a great question and it's really misunderstood and partly because, you know, most just haven't he- heard of the word or they watch a lot of movies or they read about, you know, Panama Papers and scams on TV and lump things all into just one big jumbled mess or they go into Google or talk to their CPAs and CPAs are, try- you know, trying to filter through and give them legal advice, which they shouldn't be giving, um, you know, but asset protection is not traditional estate planning, you know, it's what's modern estate planning. And what we're doing is placing essentially just a legal barrier between your assets and a potential creditor. That's it. Like it's not, you know, more convoluted than that basic concept. It's just a barrier, like a safe for your gold or your guns, you know, anything of value you want to put behind the barrier into the safe and out of your, pers- um, your personal name. So it's not easily attached with a lien, you know, or reached or attacked. And as long as it's done proactively, meaning before you're being sued, courts are really okay with this. You know, it's if you come into me after the fact, then we have to walk a very, very, very narrow line, and there's not much I can do in that aspect of it. Um, that's why you always want to set this up when you're not being attacked. Mm. And now for people, oh, who gosh, do, yeah, yeah, it's like people, this guy. It would be otherwise kind of like buying, uh, you know, auto insurance after you've had the auto accident. <laughs> Correct. An auto, an auto insurance or any type of insurance is a basic entry form of asset protection. And it's the same thing. You know, like you get insurance, not because you expect to go get in an accident, but it's just in case. Yeah. 
So um, asset protection goes beyond than just uh, incorporating. So for example, uh, you know, one thing that I did at the very beginning was I incorporated my influence into its own separate entity. Uh, I'm not going to, I don't, I don't want to operate as a sole proprietor. That's, you know, at what, well, at, at, at what point uh, do you recommend someone say, well, goodness, at least put that in an LLC. Anytime that you actually have something to own beyond your personal residence, because you're not going to put your residence into a, an LLC, you're going to lose that $250,000 tax credit um, if you do that. Um, and banks don't really want to see you putting your personal house into an LLC. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you own a rental property or you own boats or a plane or you know a business shares, you know, there's things that we can even do with business shares. But anytime you start adding to your visibility and your liability, you really want to start separating that liability out of your own personal name. You want to you want to use it. You want to enjoy it. You don't want to personally own it. That's what the rich people do. They don't own the things their trusts do, their LLCs do. They just get the beneficial use and enjoyment of it. And so you don't need to go, you know, pay for a Taj Mahal if you're just starting out. That would be ludicrous. That would make no financial sense. But you can start out with an LLC. Put your asset, for example, we'll just use real estate, into an LLC in that state where that asset's held. Then as you grow and you get some more, you might need another LLC. Then that's going to get convoluted. It's going to get messy. Too many LLCs, lots of tax filings. Move those into an asset management company. That management company would be a limited partnership. Mm -hmm. It's going to own all those LLCs. So you have the assets owned by separate LLCs. Those LLCs are owned by a management company. You're starting to layer your asset protection. You're starting to streamline it so your CPA doesn't hate you anymore. And then all those K-1s will flow straight through. So it's one tax filing. And then when you turn about that million-dollar net worth mark is when you come in with asset protection trusts, really strong jurisdictional trusts um, that essentially, especially if you use a bridge trust, you can tell a creditor, even if they have multi-million-dollar judgment against you, Thanks, no thanks, go pound sand. It really levels the playing field um, to settle cases or make them go away really fast. Uh, okay, so there were a few terms that you used. I'm not sure that I was able to track with you, um, you know, as, as you were kind of explaining everything. So I think the first one, you introduced the concept of, okay, if you, if you do have multiple LLCs, in which case would someone have multiple LLCs to begin with? So let's say that you, I mean, some of my favorite clients are nurses or firefighters, like people just um, building up their own retirement. And wow. instead of just running off a pension, they're just good at investing and they go and invest in real estate in other states, especially, you know, like one of our clients, San Francisco cop, you know, he's not going to be able to afford anything in San Francisco as a rental property mm-hmm. or income property. So he has to leave, you know, the state of California for an investment. So they'll go to like Ohio, some other state like that, where they can get cheaper land. You're going to put that land, that asset, that real estate into an LLC. Now let's say you're going to keep looking for deals. Not all the deals are going to be in one spot. Now you might branch out and go buy a Florida or a Texas real estate investment. Then you're going to go put that asset into that state's LLC because you can't take state laws with you when you go from one asset to another, you know, like Mm. California laws for California, Oregon laws for Oregon. Delaware laws for Delaware. So you can't pick up those cases, those laws and those statutes and take them into other states if you're being sued. So that's when you're going to start having more LLCs. The issue is all those are going to have individual tax filings, unless you start putting them into a management company where the K-1s passively flow through 
because it's a disregarded entity. Um, so for, in, in, what would this look like for someone? So for example, I've got two companies. I've got Savings Angel is, uh, is an S-Corp. Uh, my influence is, I think it's an S-Corp as well. Um, we'll. We'll likely hit seven figures this year. So what would you imagine would be our next step? The next step would be to start consolidating them into something easier to manage. And then depending on, you know, we'd have to do a full risk profile to see like where your mm. liability it really lies, um, potentially adding in an asset protection trust on the back end of that management company. So you would move, you know, people create S-corps not for asset protection. They really, they, they create them for um, beneficial taxes. Um, mm. So the issue with an S-corp is though you get passive tax flow, which gives you more money. Right. It's a, you have shares because so, a corporation, those shares can right. be attacked with the lien. So I, if I wanted to tie you up, I can take those ownership shares or bleed you with those. And so what we need to do is take those out of your name or even the corporate name, put them into a management company. And so there's things that we can, even if you're a corporation, we can still take those ownership shares that you delegate to yourself and protect those. And so just because you're sitting in a corporation, yeah, it helps with a base layer. That's your entry mm -hmm. foundational layer. Um, yeah. LLCs don't have ownership shares. It's just you're either a single right. member partner or a multi-member partner. You take those ownerships and you put them into the management company. Then if you're turning that net worth, we're not talking gross, we're talking net. You know, like there's a big distinction. You know, like net is what I can actually get from you. You know, so if you're worth, the, if you have a making $100 million a year, but you only net 4% of that, you really only have, you know, $4 million that I can actually collect on. And mm. so that's what you're protecting is net value. So then we can then protect those at that equity and place that equity protection into a management company. Mm -hmm. And then a bridge trust would own that management company. And then that trust is the true form of asset protection. That's the really strong domestic plus foreign asset protection trust. That's like the global standard around the world. Yeah, no kidding. So you use the term bridge trust. Is that is that a how is that different from just what I just know? I don't know. I just call it a trust, but a bridge trust yeah. is that special? It's a special type of trust, and it's a good question. So the big issue I think that a lot of people have is they hear the word trust, like you. A trust is a trust. Mm -hmm. There are so mm -hmm. many types of trust. So when you go into asset protection, you can't just say there's one silver bullet. There's no such thing as a silver bullet. Everybody's different. Your business and your life is different from your neighbors and everybody else. So we have to look at the different type of legal tools that we have for your situation and then pick the right tools or the mm. right combinations of them that work with you. And so a bridge trust is a combination of a foreign asset protection trust in the Cook Islands and a domestic asset protection trust. Um, the reason why you want both is if you were to go purely foreign and just have a purely foreign asset protection trust, they're really, really strong, but they're really expensive. It's overkill mm. for almost everybody. You know, you don't need to spend fifty, hundred thousand dollars on this trust to protect. You know, even fifty million. You don't need to do that. And if you're not being sued, there's no barrel to your head. There's no need to go offshore. But mm. you still want that statutory non-recognition power in your back pocket. You want to be able to hold it and say, if I ever do get down that alley, I want to have the big red button that works just in case to make you go away. But if I don't mm. need it, I don't want to pay for it. Right. That's the bridge trust. So then the tr trust is actually classified by the IRS as a domestic trust, as a you know, US-based trust, because mm -hmm. it's written in compliance with the IRS codes as a grantor trust. So you got, it's cheaper to start. 
it's easier to maintain. You still got protection from the St. Germain's Act, which gives, which gives you anonymity. So people, you know, it's just like any other trust. Right. Um, asset protection trusts are not revocable living trusts, like revocable living trusts, like with your medical directives and right. identifying your beneficiaries and all that. That's not an asset protection trust. They can't protect you. Asset mm-hmm. protection trusts are special. And so it's just a matter of what jurisdiction you put these in. Do we go purely offshore? Do we go purely domestic? I prefer bridging them together because you got really strong power in your back pocket if you ever were to be sued, because then you'd call me up panicking. I'd calm you down and then say, hey, it's not that bad. Nine out of 10. We don't trigger these. We just keep it all domestic, but we have it in the back pocket. If I ever do have to trigger it, we drop the domestic compliance side of it. And it automatically is now purely a foreign asset protection trust to where if you ever did have that judgment, Mm-hmm. There's statutory non-recognition. The offshore trustee is just going to say, thanks. We don't recognize it. You need to sue us here in the Cook Islands now. Meet that one-year statute of limitations. Fly in a judge from New Zealand. Front all the court costs. If you lose, you pay. And you got to prove your case by the murder standard beyond a reasonable doubt. Those wow. are very unlikely for any of that to happen. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, I, I mean, I look at what I do and I don't see a high risk. Uh, do you see real estate investors as probably needing to be aware of maybe being more aware of the risk than the typical investor considers? Absolutely. Real estate is one of the heaviest litigated areas of law there Ooh. is. You know, like, especially if you're syndicating deals, you're putting in developments, yeah. even mm. just like fix and flippers. It depends on how big you are, but um, real estate's one of the heaviest litigated areas that there are. Plus there's a lot of equity if you're doing it right in that. So there's a lot to get. So you have a lot of potential lawsuits, a lot of potential injuries. You can have a fourplex, a tenplex mold issue, a $5 million mold claim. Um, If you're driving your car and you had one drink and you accidentally get in an accident at the intersection and someone dies, that outside liability now opens up all of your real estate investments for a judgment. Um, So it's not even just whether it's outside your liability or inside, you got to protect yourself from both. Yeah. Aside from entities, uh, what are the other uh, mechanisms or, or other services or, or other tools that, that someone might want to employ? Yeah, so you should always have insurance. You know, like that's just basic, you know, business right there. You know, have insurance, have renter's insurance, have business insurance, have, um, but understand the limitations of insurance. Insurance is only there really for small things. Um, if you were to have a big issue come your way, insurance make money by taking premiums and not paying out. And so their job is then to create legal separation from you. And there's a whole reason, there's a whole industry called, you know, insurance defense. So what they're going to do when something really big happens is start creating legal separation from you and they don't cover you for fraud or intentional wrongs. And almost every lawsuit when it comes to damages or, you know, um, syndications falling apart is always going to have an element of fraud brought into it or an intentional act. And what happens is like a judge will say like, oh, you sent this email. That email was an intentional act. So now you brought in the intentional act, even though there wasn't one, by an email that you wrote because you intended mm-hmm. to write a document. And so the insurance company then makes the argument, well, that was an intentional act. Whether it is or not, we don't care. Sue us if you think we're wrong. We're not going to cover you. So you got to understand the limits of insurance. Have it, but it's limits. And then asset protection is the buildup of the second stage from there. 
Yeah. Um, and so, Brian, how many of these things are, wh- which of these things would you say, you know, it's pretty simple. You don't need an attorney for that versus like, mm, yeah, no, <laughs> don't even think about doing that without an attorney to help you through. If you're ever going to put something of value into an entity that's going to hold it and then it could be challenged in court and it has liability on it, I would never consider doing it yourself because you don't mm-hmm. know how to do it. Even just a simple part of, I can go and create an LLC online very cheaply, doesn't mean you know how to do it properly. I have so many mm-hmm. clients that come in, ton, like $10 million, 15 LLCs they created, they created them all bad. They're all, you know, because they did them all, they created them cheap, um, mm-hmm. named themselves as a single member, they named themselves personally. And so next thing I have to do is when they come in, I have to clean all that up. Yeah. And so the issue isn't just creating it, it's creating it properly. And the devil's in the details with this. And then are there other thresholds that, you know, it's almost like I wish that there were just like some basic thresholds. Like if you hit this, then it's time for X. So, you know, uh, you know, we already talked about, you know, the, the, the basic need for an LLC. I mean, if there's any asset, then it should be, in, in an LLC. Uh, but I guess the, the next steps up from there, what would be those indicators that we might look for? Yeah. So the foundation level insurance LLC, that's newbie. Mm-hmm. Like even if you're new <laughs> budget to create a proper LLC and insurance or don't create or don't buy that asset, you know, that's just part of the budgeting. Um, the next level is that management company. And that's going to come into about 500,000 um, net value, net worth. Mm-hmm. Um, cause that, at that point you probably have two to four assets. You're starting to grow. Um, maybe you're a doctor, you're depending on what your specialty is. You have a high income, high net earner. Yeah. You have liability from there. Plus you probably have a few assets. Then as you grow and you hit about that million dollar net worth mark, you have a lot. You're seen as a mark. You probably have your different buckets of investments that you're setting up. So you have a lot more to lose. You need stronger form of protection. So when you hit that 100 million net worth mark is when you come in and we have the asset protection talk. And generally, we're going to talk about the bridge trust just because we need something depending on where we space out all your liability is. At that point, you're going to probably need to have that thanks go pound sand option. We're not going to recognize it um, just to protect everything that you have. That's great. Uh, so, Brian, uh, so in terms of like BTB legal um, uh, for the work that you do, uh, how long have you been you know, own, owning your own, uh, uh, I guess, you could, a law firm, right? Do you yeah. consider a law firm? Yeah. No, uh, so, I mean, when, yeah, did, when, when did you go independent and, and how was that transition? Yeah, it was a, it was a rough transition. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I learned by doing a lot of things wrong, <laughs> but that's how you succeed. <laughs> Don't we all? Don't yeah. we all? <laughs> I just, I came out of law school at the wrong time. You know, like I, my life was all about pivoting. I went to college to be a professional baseball player, threw out my arm three uh-huh. times, had to figure out life, went to law school, came out of law school in 2008 when the economy tanked. And I was working at the DA's office for three years. And the basically was like, oh, here's your job as a prosecutor. Can't wait to have you, you know, like fully on the team now. Oh, economy tank, no job, um, no jobs anywhere in California. Um, good luck. And so then that turned into me trying to figure out, okay, what do I have to do? How am I going to survive? You know, how am I going to get experience? So um, I had to work for free, literally for three years, going to mm. state agencies and just saying, I'll represent clients for free. You just cover the court costs. I just need yeah. experience. 
And then um, I got a lot of experience from there, went into some private firms, and I basically got the janitor role, which was, we don't know what we're doing. We have a high profile case or, you know, we got stuck in this. Can you fix the problem? Yes, thank you. I cleaned it up, did a great job. And then I got let go because they didn't need my services anymore. And so as I was making other firms money and cleaning up their mess, I just realized I'm always expendable. I don't own it. And so I'd rather just completely fail on my own or have all the success come towards me and my people that I surround myself with. Yeah. Um, but I'm tired of being used. And so about four years into my own, you know, like of practicing, I just made the jump into practicing, you know, and opening up my own firm, mm-hmm. I, but I just did it wrong. You know, like in the beginning, I didn't market myself. I didn't brand myself. I was at that point a top 1%, you know, a trial lawyer in the nation. But if you don't know that I exist, how are people going to find you? And Mm -hmm. the old way of marketing for law firms was you don't need to advertise, you know, like your reputation and word of mouth, you know, referrals, that'll be fine. Social media and everything comes into play and the internet, you know, blows up. And if you're not on and advertising online and you're not out in social media, no one's going to find you now because there's no yellow book. Yeah. All right. <laughs> so what do you do now? Like, uh, so what, what would be your big things that you do to attract more business? I mean, obviously you're, you're on a lot of podcasts. You seem, you know, seem pretty rec- nationally recognized. Um, but what do you do on a regular basis to, you know, kind of keep the inbound happening? Yeah. So before COVID and anything happened about two years ago, I completely transitioned my practice um, into just taking advantage of technology. Hmm. Um, And so what I do now um, for marketing wise is like we primarily, at least me, I'm an educator. Like I go out and I talk to, you know, banking seminars. I go to medical um, seminars and talk to them. I go to investment meetups and groups um, and investment groups. And um, it's just based on educating. I educate and teach a lot of continuing legal education for um, lawyers and then other continuing education for CPAs on asset protection, these higher end levels and how to do it. Um, And so my thing was, well, I do this at a high level. I have a high amount of knowledge. Let me just give back and teach people how not to do this wrong. And then about two years ago, I realized well, you need to market and brand that because if you're the top 1% of the top one percenters and you're the one educating the other solution solvers, like you need to then take advantage of, not take advantage, but just let people know who you are. Mm-hmm. And so by being the educator of the educators or the specialist of the specialists, that became my niche. Um, and then I don't try to do business with everybody. You know, like I just try to stay in my lane of the people and clients I represent. So um, I don't try to cast a large net. I just and know what I'm specifically fishing for. Excellent. All right. So Brian, for someone who's like, okay, I like this guy. I, I want, I want more. What would be a great thing for them to uh, look for? Do you have anything, you know, maybe some excellent content for them or uh, what would be kind of the next step for someone who's uh, like, okay, you've convinced me. Uh, I'm, I'm ready for that next phase of asset protection. Yeah, they can just jump on my website, www.btblegal.com. And we have a whole great um, educational section on there of lots of videos about asset protection, um, frequently asked question of probably every question in the world that someone can think of. Um, just from going to so many seminars and all of mm-hmm. this, I just made all the compilation of you know all the questions that every investor has been asking. Um, 
Also, just you can email me, Brian, B-R-I-A-N at btblegal.com and just ask questions. Um, I like to do free consultations because I'd rather have people have access to information to make a decision than being too afraid to call and talk to a lawyer because they want to, don't want to pay a consultation fee or multiple ones if they want to talk to multiple people. Mm. Excellent. All right, Brian Bradley, again, thank you so much for joining us. You are the owner of Bradley Legal Corp and the website, btblegal.com. Brad, Brian, thank you so much. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Thoughtful Entrepreneur Show. If you are a thoughtful business owner or professional who would like to be on this daily program, please visit upmyinfluence.com slash guest. Now, if you've got something out of this interview, would you share this episode on social media? Just do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend or post it on the socials. Now, if you do that, tag us with the hashtag UpMyInfluence. Each month, we scour Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. We pick one winner from each platform and you get crowned king or queen of that social media. Now, what do you win? Well, we're going to promote you and your business to over 120,000 social media fans totally free. Now, can you also hook us up? Now, in your podcast player right now, please give us a thumbs up or a rating and review. We promise to read it all and take action. We believe that every person has a message that can positively impact the world. Your feedback helps us fulfill that mission. And while you're at it, hit that subscribe button. You know why? Tomorrow, that's right, seven days a week, you are going to be inspired and motivated to succeed. 15 minutes a day. Now, my name's Josh Elledge. Let's connect on the socials. You'll find all the stuff we're doing at upmyinfluence.com. Now, thanks for listening and thank you for being a part of the Thoughtful Entrepreneur Movement.